This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJScholes24. AJ, we're entering the period where trade talks are starting to heat up around the NHL, and each year that we've done this pod, we have taken the, unop- the similar opportunity to speak about trade tips for season-long and Dynasty League players. For me, it clearly depends on my goal. If I'm a top team, I target my area of strength and try to figure out who or what position I have that I need more than where I'm weakest. And so uh, from there, it becomes a matching exercise when reviewing the non-contending teams. Then we talk. If you're a non-contending team, the opportunity is there for you to build for your future. That's when it's up to you to call teams that have similar needs and create a bidding war for an asset in your position. So depending on where you are in the league at standings, uh, you've got to figure out what it is that you can do to improve your lot for this season or next season, depending on your pr- perspective. Uh, any more insights, or do you have any real-world examples that can underscore what I just said? Yeah, I mean, generally, I, I agree with everything there. If you're in a redraft league, so, uh, you know, not a dynasty league, then I think, you know, this is a time to make any and all moves uh, to shuffle things up. And, and even, you know, maybe you're willing to take a little bit of a loss, you know, in your mind, take a little bit less value or, or maybe that means trading away a player that, you know, in any other format, you would never trade away. But if it's a redraft league, I think all bets are off in that sense because it doesn't really help you to stockpile anything for the future. So just, you know, speaking to those guys out there, maybe make that bold move that that seems a little crazy or maybe offer something uh, that's a little over the top where, yeah, you might be taking a little bit of a loss, but it's going to shake your team up and maybe help you in other categories. So um, just don't be afraid to be aggressive uh, in those redraft leagues, you know, at this kind of trade deadline. But uh, yeah, otherwise, yeah, for your for your, you know, dynasty leagues absolutely paul i think uh that's that's how i would approach it uh you know you you take what you got if you've got a bunch of defensemen if you're like carolina can trade those guys away to p- add some forward depth uh kind of do that there so 
So I and I also wanted to say, AJ, I, I don't know how you feel about futures and draft picks, but I refuse to deal those picks because I know you're you're supposed to try and win every year, but I don't want to put myself at a disadvantage because I still think the draft is the most important part of the fantasy hockey season in, in rotisserie type setups. So I will not compromise myself in terms of a draft pick. And in terms of real world examples like we're seeing out there. All the talk is that the Leafs needed a defenseman. Well, they went to a team that was going to give up on one, and and so that was a match that that made sense. Going forward, in a similar sense, you look at a team like Carolina, they're very weak at forward, but they have an abundance of young defensemen that teams are just uh, salivating over, it seems, and uh, they've underperformed some of these guys, but notwithstanding, that's an area of their strength. So that's a real-world example of where you would trade from that strength to bolster weakness. So that's how, how I was trying to underline how it underlined the point that I made uh, earlier on in the show. Yeah. In terms of draft pick, I, you know, I think, um, I think I would consider it. I'm, I'm not going to go out and trade, you know, all of my picks. I'm, I'm probably less likely to trade a first round pick. Um, but if, if it can send a deal over the top to win this season, uh, anything from about a second round pick down, I, I think I'm willing to discuss. I, I don't have a hard line stance on it, but uh, that first round pick, I'm probably not going anywhere with. Um, that one uh, is probably a non-starter for me, unless you really wowed me uh, with the deal on on the other end. But so yeah, for the most part, uh, I think I'm a little more open uh, to dealing those picks, depending on my my standings. You know, if I'm in the middle of the league, uh, I'm I'm not really thinking about it. It's got to be you know top of the league, one, two, three, somewhere in there, trying to go for a win and just need that little bit of a extra you know throw in to get somebody from from the bottom but you know before we kick off the rest of the show just remind our listeners that throughout the week if you have questions about your lineups fantasy hockey if you have trade questions if you want to um you know uh ask us how we feel about are you getting good value here should you make this trade we're happy to answer those throughout the week uh just tweet at us as paul mentioned you can follow me at aj shoals 24 and you can follow paul the statsman at statsman 22 yeah, well, now let's get into this, the 31 teams, AJ. And the beginning will with Anaheim, and boy, I got a good look at this team last night as they visited Toronto, and they got trounced again. They've had a really rough go of late, and their starting goalie, John Gibson, got lit up for the third game in a row, not finishing that contest. On the plus side, if you can say anything, there's a plus. Corey Perry did return to this lineup as the first line right wing next to Getzlaff with Raquel at left wing. That's still where the bulk of this offense goes, and so... Uh, they got to really pick it up here because this team is really looking bad right now. Chad Johnson's been decent in his two recent starts, and Miller is still out, though he's traveling with the team on this road trip. So look for some the goaltending here before you make any picks, although I don't know why you would pick an Anaheim goalie the way this team is going right now. <laughs> uh, they're in the midst of a tough Eastern Canada road swing with a final stop in Philly, too. Uh, their thin playoff hopes are about to be extinguished, I think, in about a week or so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I could see uh, in the right night, you know, maybe you target John Gibson uh, in, in daily contests on, on the right matchup. You know, he is still a world class goaltender. And I yes, he's given up, you know, 16 goals in the last two games, but he's not getting a whole lot of help either uh, in terms of defensive support or offensive support. So uh, the right matchup, I, I would maybe utilize John Gibson, one player. Uh, to maybe consider as he eases his way back into the lineup here is Ryan Kessler uh, slotted back in last night 
saw just 13 minutes of ice time so not a ton of action uh, his numbers are definitely down this year uh, so I'm I'm off him in season long formats but again in, in daily contests you might get a decent enough value uh, on the 34 year old to pick him up and AJ as we approach the trade deadline we're going to highlight players from time to time one of the guys that uh, people have got to be kicking tires might be uh, Oliver Ekman Larson in Arizona he's not kept pace with other top scoring defensemen but in the right circumstance like you just mentioned this guy could explode and he's got a long term cap hit of 8.25 million dollars kicking in next year that looks like a li- it could be a little bit of trouble for Arizona if they don't get their act together as he's not driving this sputtering offense right now up front Vinny Hinestroza is getting a look at left wing minutes on the top line and I have some time for this guy if he continues to score as he is most recently he's got three goals in his last four games played he and Derek Stepan seems to have meshed very well Stepan is another guy who had produced before the last week or so but these two seem to have got some chemistry going so maybe you got to take a look at that as some low-end DFS value well, and it's possible that Alex Galchenyuk is going to kind of break out of his slump uh, here. Had a goal last night against Dallas. Uh, that ended a five-game uh, pointless streak. So maybe it's you know a good sign that things are to come. You know, let's not forget before that five-game slump there, he had 11 points in 10 games and was really producing pretty well. Seven of those came on the power play. So. Yes, a little bit of an extended slump, and that's going to be frustrating for fantasy owners, but it looks like he might be starting to come out of that and a good time to use him. And uh, we look next at the Boston Bruins. This is a team that's looking for scoring on the second line, and they're giving Peter Solarik a, uh, a chance to shine next to David Krejci and Louis, Debru- uh, Louis DeBrusque's kid, Jake DeBrusque, who has one assist in his last nine games. Maybe Louis would do a little bit better than Jake, even at this stage <laughs> in their careers. But they've got to get something going on that second unit, and so this is what it looks like now. And then on the third line, Trent Frederick was brought up uh, three games ago to play in that center role. He hasn't really shown too much, save for a, a pretty nice uh, outcome in a fight that he got engaged with. But uh, that doesn't get rewarded in DFS play. So they want to see some offense from this rookie to uh, help with secondary scoring. That's really what they're searching for here in Boston. They can be happy about the fact they have a healthy D, though Charlie McAvoy, one of their offensive bright lights back there, you would think, has only one assist in his last eight games played since coming off the IR. Well, I'm going to go a little bit of a Homer uh, talk here and, and talk about Trent Frederick a little bit more. You're talking about a University of Wisconsin product, mm-hmm. uh, two years with the Badgers there. Uh, phenomenal seasons, 33 points in his first year, 32 in his second. Uh, and so, so far this year, here it is, Paul, bright and early for you. AHL mentioned <laughs> uh, 17 points in his first uh 37 games uh i think can really offer uh some quality depth scoring here i think he could pair up really well with david backus i think he's the type of player that can add a little bit of speed he can get into those dirty areas uh and and win bat you know puck battles and that'll help him spit it back out uh you know to guys like david backus i would like to see maybe somebody else on that other side i'm not sold on jockey norsham uh, but I think Trent Frederick could be a solid play uh, in all formats moving forward, especially uh, if he can you know, get a few more games under his belt. He's only got three games of NHL experience uh, that have all come this year. So he'll get there, I think, uh, and is a, a great player here for Boston heading into the future. You see what I did there? Pitchers and catchers report in about 15 days, AJ. I just served up a 55-mile-an-hour 
changeup, and you <laughs> knocked it right out of the park there with that one. Good for you. Now, next up, the Buffalo Sabres are lamenting the fact that an upper body injury has sidelined Johan Larson, and it's led to C.J. Smith being recalled here. He's a, been a point-per-game guy in Rochester in the AHL, so they're right back at you, an AHL reference for me. <laughs> this guy is a bottom-six type guy, in my opinion, though, unless you can convince me otherwise, A.J., on the wings, I look at uh, Akposa with two goals in his last four games played and Pommelville with a goal in his last, ga- uh, last game. They need to get more production out of these veteran guys who have been slumping most recently. We highlighted both of them a couple of weeks ago, so uh, they got off the schneid a little bit, but that has to continue as the Sabres are on the outside looking in to the playoff race. The trouble for them is that Carter Hutton seems to have hit a wall before uh, yesterday's action. I noticed that he had given up 17 goals against in his last four games played, and uh, tonight he gets a chance to right that ship, but they need better goaltending than what he's shown of late. You're absolutely right with the goaltending there. Um, I will, uh, you know, highlight Rotowire for our listeners here. You got to check the lines to know when you utilize some of these guys that are slumping. Buffalo's shaking things up right now. And as it looks based on yesterday's practice, so this could change, you know, later today, but as it looks, Okposo is going to go with Eichel and Shiri while Pominville goes with Skinner and Middlestat. So I think it's a good opportunity to use both those guys and even to give Casey Middlestat here a look because this is another guy that hasn't been, uh, you know, was slow to the start of the season has picked it up of late with four points in his last six games. So he's starting to get it going here. Something that I think the team's been waiting on all season long playing with Jeff Skinner's only going to help him get better. But I do think there's a good opportunity here for Oposo and Pominville to produce in top six roles rather than, you know, Oposo has been playing on the fourth line, Pominville on the third. And I think it gives you uh, some good options here. And I'm glad that you pointed out the Rotowire uh, efforts to keep lineups current, AJ, because it's a really great resource that we should take advantage of as DFS players on a daily basis. That's another tip for our listeners that we don't say often enough, in my opinion. And it really sheds some light on what's happening in Calgary when you look at the fact that James Neal has finally moved up in, in terms of playing time and is being rewarded for a streak like he's had five points in his last eight games, making a strong bid to get top six minutes over Michael Forleek, who's gone the other way with one assist in his last six outings. On defense, Rasmus Anderson has three assists in his last six games since moving to the second deep pairing with Noah Hannafin, and he, he may stay there for a bit with ha- Travis Hemenick sidelined with a lower body injury. So a lot of uh, things in flux in Calgary right now. The biggest concern I have with with that Hamannick injury is whether or not it's going to open up, you know, David Rich uh, and Mike Smith to seeing more shots. Uh, I think Rich can definitely handle it. Smith, we all know how how I feel about him, so I'll just leave that there. But I do think it's a concern uh, in, in that sense. On the flip side, if you are uh, in a format that's awarding shots like daily contests. Maybe you're not so worried about Travis Hamannick being out because your goaltender, if you have confidence that they're going to stop the puck, is going to see more shots. Uh, So there is kind of maybe another way to look at that, um, but it's definitely something to watch over the next, you know, couple of games until Hamannick can get back into action. 
In Carolina, Nino Niederreiter must like it the, in the new digs with five goals and six games played since joining his new club as the top line left winger. Lucas Walmark also has five points in his last eight games played as the second line center and may see more duty there with the news that Jordan Stahl is possibly out for the rest of the season with his upper body injury. I believe on defense, one of Slavin or Pesci could be dealt here, increasing their value down the road. So if you pick the right guy, you could be in for a nice reward if you're in season long. Uh, play uh, the rest of the season if one of these guys moves to a team that you own well and we talked off the top about the strength in Carolina's blue line and so just to highlight that you know you've got Jakob Slavin and Dougie Hamilton are both up over the 20 point mark uh, primarily coming through assists although Hamilton just needs one more goal to hit the 10 goal mark Uh, and there's really not a significant drop off right away you've got Justin Falk at 19 little bit of a dip with Brett Pesci at 12 and Calvin DeHaan at 11 Uh, even Trevor Rams Van Riemsdyk has kicked in nine points this year so you know depending on what teams are willing to give up the other way I think all of these guys are really on the table in terms you know it's going to depend on the offer if somebody wants kind of that top guy I think Slavin or Hamilton could garner a big return but I do think there's a market for a TVR a a Calvin DeHaan who are a little bit less point producing but that's also going to cost the team making that move way less to get them in there and I don't think Carolina would be too sad to have to use uh, Hayden Fleury or Trevor Carrick on a consistent basis I think they're very happy with those guys and so losing uh, one of those top six I don't think is really going to set them back that much uh, and is only going to help them on the forward end in Chicago, look, at are four games under a break-even mark here, but the offense is really clicking up late with 21 goals in their last four games played, all wins for the team in the Windy City. Drake Kajula is betting, benefiting from top line, uh, top six minutes on the left wing here, collecting four points in his last five games. His $1.5 million cap hit through next season means he'll remain a nice fit here as long as he produces anywhere near that level because they have some high-end contracts with Kane and Taves, as we've discussed earlier this year. On defense, Eric Gustafsson is having a breakout year, and nobody's talking about him. He has six points in his last seven games played. Good for 33 points in 50 50 games played to date. So he's on pace for at least a 40-point season that nobody saw coming. In the Nets, Cam Ward is finally bidding for a larger role after five five goals against allowed over his last two starts. They need some stability in the Nets, and they may be turning to the veteran in a bigger way down the road here. Absolutely. I mean, there is a little bit of good news that Corey Crawford is starting to do on ice work, but we saw that for a lot of last year um, that he was able to do kind of the on ice, uh, you know, with the goalie coach there work. But uh, according to coach Jeremy Colton, they're still considering him an option before the end of the season here. Now you have to wonder when you get into late March uh, that there's no point at, you know, in suiting him up at at that uh, time, because this is not a playoff team. If they were, obviously that's a different story, but I think unless Crawford can come back, I would say early March, anywhere from mid-March to late March, you might as well just shut him down for the rest of the year. I think you'd be better off doing that, but we'll see what they do. Um, and, but until then it is probably going to be a split, uh, start situation. I think between Cam Ward and Colin D'Elia, these guys are both looking for long-term, you know, maybe not long-term in Ward's, uh, situation, but Ward's looking for another contract. D'Elia wants to get off that entry level deal and, and make some money at this point. So, uh, we'll kind of see how these guys go the rest of the way.
And in Colorado, this is a team that has shaken things up. I think they did it a little bit too late in the season. I would have liked to have seen them break up that top line. They finally got around to doing that. The wingers on the top two lines have switched to new centers in an effort to spread that offense out. I like this move, as I believe Nathan McKinnon is a guy that can drive a line on his own. And uh, new wingers Alex Kerfoot and Colin Wilson are still in the power play mix. So he's, it's not like he's going from the penthouse to the outhouse in terms of talent on his uh, flanks here. So they should continue to thrive with the captain. And Soderbergh is having a nice year, so he should be a nice fit with the first-line wingers here. And on the blue line, I note that Nikita Zadorov, now partnered with T.J. Uh, Berry, has two points in his last five games played. This guy has an offensive upside that we haven't seen yet to, the, to date, but partnered with Barry, it could bring out the best in him. So it could be a, a bit of a dark horse value in DFS play. Well, and if they're going to get anywhere, while I do think maybe shuffling the lines is it could help, they're going to need to get better, you know, in the goals. And, and Varlamov just hasn't been good enough of late. But for, you know, fortunately for him, unfortunately for fantasy owners and fans, uh, Philip Grubauer hasn't been any better. But you look at Varlamov's numbers of late one, uh, three and oh, in his last four games, a three point three one goals against average. Again, that's just not, simply not good enough, especially when you have a top line like that that's capable in a lot of instances of outscoring uh, opponents pretty significantly. And so I'm 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 thinking that if things start to continue to go sour, they're going to go back. You know, it's it's like a security blanket. I, I think they're going to go back to that line pretty quick uh, if they're not getting production, you know, just because when they have them, they can on some cases, outscore the poor net minding. In Columbus, this team is on a five-game losing streak. Bobrovsky doesn't appear to be focused here. He's allowing at least three goals a game in all but one of his last nine starts. That's got to be near his worst streak of his career. Anthony DeClaire also appears to be in Torts Doghouse. Uh, again, that's not a place to have any fun in Columbus. <laughs> and uh, Panera apparently wants out as well. This team is really in disarray, and I, can think, I think we can scratch them from the, from the contenders, uh, AJ, despite the, their current record. Well, I think Bobrovsky's probably distracted because he's looking at houses in Florida um, <laughs> as the Panthers are, are pretty uh, well attached to getting both, uh, potentially both him and Panarin. You know, Derek Broussard's name has been out there as uh, heading to, to Columbus in kind of a reverse trade here before the deadline. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a team to watch in terms of, of what they're going to do at the deadline. I, I do think... They're not willing to, to lo risk losing those guys for nothing. The problem is that they're a wild card team right now. And so you want to hold on to those to make a playoff run. Obviously, if they trade Bobrovsky, that's that's it for the season, in my opinion. I don't right. think Jonas Corposalo uh, is a number one net minder. Maybe they get James Reimer on the reverse to, to kind of hold down the fort. Uh, but I don't really see that happening. Um, and, and him being able to do that. So uh, the next three weeks are going to be really telling for this club. If they hold on to that wild card spot, they may risk uh, trying to re-sign Panarin and Bobrovsky over the summer. But if they drop uh, below, you know, the, the other teams there trying to track them down, Philadelphia, Carolina, Buffalo, uh, then they're probably going to sell and sell hard. 
in Dallas, we talked about a team on the down uh, on the upturn uh, after talking about a team on the downslope in Columbus. Radic Faxa is getting a long look as a top line center with Ben on his left wing. Hansel's out again, leaving the center depth wi- weak. So Faxa's got a chance to make up for that. Up front as well, Matthias Janmark wins with this roster shuffle, moving into Ben's spot alongside Sagan and Radilov. That's a pretty nice landing spot for a guy who has a goal and two assists in his last two games with them. A good start for him. On the blue line, Miro Heiskanen is developing nicely as a good two-way blue liner on pace for a 30-point rookie season that few saw coming there. Well, we talked a while back about, uh, you know, both having some reservations about Team Brass kind of calling out the top players in the manner in which they did. But apparently the message has been received, especially by Tyler Sagan, who's got 11 goals in his last 13 games, tossing another five helpers over that stretch for 16 points, seven of which came on the power play. Uh, He's got 10 hits over that stretch as well. So uh, clearly the message was received by Tyler Sagan about, you know, needing to be better uh, and Jamie Ben hasn't produced quite at the same level, um, but is, you know, heating up a little bit of late with four points in his last five games. Uh, And so, like I said, maybe the way the message was delivered wasn't exactly the best, but clearly uh, it was taken in and received by the club. and, and, And those two guys have definitely stepped up. In Detroit, Dylan Larkin is the new offensive linchpin, but he's going to miss the next couple of weeks with an abdominal muscle injury. I saw this happen against the Leafs. He was skating back hard to back check, and uh, something gave out there, and it turned out to be this abdominal muscle injury. That means a new look first line for the next little while. Andreas and Athanasius slides into the middle between Abdul Kader and Nyquist on a top unit that should fly up and down the ice. Danny DeKaiser on the blue line is caught fire with five points in his last six games after returning from a long IR stint so that's good news on the back end up front as well Tyler Bertuzzi one of the few physical types here is also out for a week with an upper body injury and uh, Thomas Savannah has taken advantage of some of the change up front with eight points in his last seven games played he's going to pick up some of Bertuzzi's minutes going forward as well one another player that could factor in uh, to that center compliment is Michael Rasmussen, who's been he's in the minors on a conditioning stint, probably will be back relatively soon. And I think that could really help uh, them try and stabilize the middle here. Obviously, uh, Athanasiu is going to be the, you know, the top guy here uh, and get the best opportunity. But the concern with him is he's on an eight game goal drought now does have six assists over that stretch has 22 shots on goal. So a little over two per game. So is still uh, putting some opportunities, but you look at his most recent outing zeros across the board had 1855 of ice time, including uh, 347 on the power play, no goals, no assists, no shots, even in that game, just two hits really to show for it. And that's a bigger concern overall. Uh, when, when he's slumping so hard, you have to be getting pucks to the net and really, it's time for him to step up with Larkin's sideline. And talk about time to step up. You know, you like to see a team respond when there's been a bit of a shakeup off the ice. But uh, here we are talking about the Edmonton Oilers on a five-game winless streak at a terrible time of year to have that happen. The clear issue is here finding an off- is finding an offensive upside beyond McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Ryan Nugent-Hopkins. That remains a big issue. Alex Chason has been a rare bright light 
offensively with three points in his last four games in a top six winger role. As long as anybody's breathing up there and producing <laughs> a couple of points, they're going to get a shot here, AJ. Uh, in the Nets, Koskinen has allowed 15 goals against in his last four games. That's not what you want to see from a guy who signed a big long-term contract ex- extension either. Well, you know, that contract extension just kind of boggles my mind that you let the the GM negotiate that and then fire him the next day. But all of that aside, you know, you're you brought him in on kind of a trial basis. You obviously are going to give him a longer look as you, you know, move away from Cam Talbot. And then, yeah, as you said, uh, winless in his last four and the, the numbers aren't great. The problem for Edmonton is that Cam Talbot's numbers are pretty much on par, if not worse, over his you know latest stretch. He's one, two, and one in his last five with a 4.84 goals against average. Uh, it's really shocking to see how far you know Talbot has really dropped off from that. You know, 2016-17 had really a breakout year, 42 wins, 73 games played. Uh, struggled last season, but still put it together enough to get 31 wins uh, all told and just really has not been uh, has steadily gotten worse in each year. You know, again, seven shutouts in that 16, 17 campaign. This was a guy that looked uh, like a, you know, going to be a perennial Vesna candidate. And really uh, now he's the number two in here would, uh, would probably be shocked if he's still on this team after February 25th. I think uh, there'll be other teams that see that previous season and are interested in trying to, you know, revive his career a little bit. It might be willing uh, to add him to the roster ahead of the deadline. And Florida is uh, treading water here. Frank Vetrano, five goals and three assists in his last seven games, largely in a top-line left-wing role. That has helped him. Derek Broussard is a newcomer, slotted in as a top-six winger here since coming over from the Pens, along with fourth-line center Riley Sheehan. But the thinking is that uh, Broussard, you mentioned he may be flipped in another deal coming up soon. You spoke last week in glowing terms of Henrik Borgstrom. He's a player to watch it. I, I agree. Playing third-line minutes with a sniper like Mike Hoffman on his left wing, they'll avoid top-line checkers uh, against them on a nightly basis in this slot. Dennis Malgin is another guy who'll get more ice time on the right wing on uh, in that unit, possibly following this trade as well. You talked about that rumor that's gaining some traction that has Florida linked to Bobrovsky and Panarin in, in Columbus. That one is a head-scratcher for me that... Uh, Florida would go after both players that's going to be a big salary uh, acceptance here that I don't know who how, how the rest of the pieces will fit but it'll be intriguing and I wonder if there are going to be any claims of tampering with regard to the notion be, becoming public so we're far ahead of the trade deadline yeah I mean I, I think part of it you know is uh, preparing for the future you know you've got Luongo at 39 you've got Reimer at 30 but both these guys are locked up for another two years uh, with Luongo signed all the way through 21-22 at 4.5, a little over 4.5 million a year. That's a big contract for a guy who will be, uh, if I'm doing my math, my quick math here, he'll be 42 at the end of that deal, I believe, 43 maybe. Um, and so how they make all that work is is definitely going to be something to watch. You have to wonder if maybe some of that comes in the form of Aaron Ekblad or Keith Yandel going the other way. Those guys carry real big uh, hits there. 
Yandel probably the more likely at 32. I don't think you want to part with a 22-year-old defenseman of Eric uh, Aaron Ekblad's caliber, but certainly, uh, you know, if you're trying to bring in two big pieces like that, something's got to give. Yeah, that's an intriguing couple of names you threw out there as well, AJ. It bears watching the rest of the next couple of weeks for sure. In Los Angeles, following the recent trade that sent Muzzin to the Leafs, Derek Forbert has become uh, Drew Doughty's new blue line partner. That's got to increase his DFS value. He's never topped 20 points in a season, though, so don't pick him up just yet until you see what kind of an offensive upside he shows here in this new spot. Offensively, Brendan Leipzig is getting top six left wing minutes and power play time in the last two weeks. That port side is a club weakness here as uh, only Alex Ayafalo has done any scoring, and he's been the best of a bad lot with only 23 points in 51 games played here. Yeah, there's just not a whole lot to really be uh, thrilled about in terms of of DFS options here. Uh, I do think you're on point with Forbert potentially being, uh, you know, a sneaky cheap option here. Um, But I'm not sure that offense is really his game. You know, as you said, hasn't hit the 20 point mark before. So I'm not really sold on it. But if you're desperate in season long to add something, if you want to go contrarian in DFS, I, I think that's your option here with Forbird. Uh, the rest of the way, you know, you're looking at Kopitar maybe adding some value. Uh, Drew Doughty, of course. And, and on the right night, Jonathan Quick, I think, can be an option as well. In Minnesota, they signed a backup goalie, Alex Salak, to a cheap extension. It's not too often you see this kind of thing. He's going to be locked up for 785000 for each of the next three seasons, so that's helpful under the salary cap to get that piece in place longer term. Charlie Coyle seems to be comfortable in, in, in a second-line role again on the right wing. This guy's been a scoring winger most of his career in Minnesota, and he's showing it again with four points in the last five games, though he's had a bit of a subpar year. Uh, some uh, DFS value might be in line as long as he continues to produce here. I don't think his price tag can be very high for a little while. On defense, Jared Spurgeon has quietly reached the 30-point plateau, and he will threaten career-best point totals as well uh, in a third line, first-line pairing on the blue line with... Uh, minute eater Soder. If you're looking for cheap DFS value here, I think Spurgeon's your guy on this blue line. Well, you mentioned the Stalla contract, and obviously, I, th- I think the the biggest reason for giving him that length of term uh, is uh, potential expansion for Seattle. Uh, that contract will make him uh, eligible, and so they'll have to, you know, expose a netminder there. And so I think that's really what you're seeing here in terms of the length of length of term. Now, one kind of interesting rumor that's been rumbling around lately is a potential Eric Stahl trade. You look, he's 34 years old, going to be a UFA next season. His cap hit actually to take on this year wouldn't be outrageous at 3.5 million. There's a lot of teams that could fit that in. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch here as well. Again, a lot is going to be determined in the next couple of weeks. Minnesota is a, is a playoff team right now and likely wants to stay there, but uh, you run the risk of obviously losing stall for nothing after the season, although all signs point to him enjoying his time in Minnesota. So maybe he's willing to re up, but if they fall out again, if Colorado or St. Louis uh, or even Edmonton can kind of track him down to track Minnesota down, rather they might uh, decide that it's time to flip the, the veteran. 
And Montreal, they have to be excited about getting Andrew Shaw back in the lineup on the right wing after a long absence. They're going to enjoy having his grittiness among the forward pack that doesn't play the game that way. So he'll be a welcome addition here. Uh, in, in his second game back after a three-game absence, Paul Byron is one again, once again dealing with a shoulder injury. So he's probably headed back to the the IR here. He's going to be reevaluated this week, and that's a guy they can ill afford to lose for any extended period of time, in my opinion. Arturi Lekkonen has been seeing his playing time drop with only three assists in his last 13 games played in the new year. Meanwhile, Thomas Tatar is heating up on left wing with six points in his last six games. So there's some hot and some cold going on in Montreal right now. Well, the one guy to kind of keep an eye on in terms of Paul Byron being out is going to be Joel Armia. He's projected to slot into that second line with Tatar and Max Domi. Uh, and I think that's a good spot for him to potentially pick up some some production. You know, you mentioned Tatar's numbers of late. Domi has six points in his last five games. And so Armia could be sitting pretty and isn't going to cost you a whole bunch and might even be available in some season long formats uh, kind of sitting out there on, on the you know free agent list. And in Nashville, this team's clicking along here, and they've really been without a second-line center for a long while, as Kyle Torres is expected to get back in the lineup soon, and that's going to see Colton Sissons drop back to a bottom six-winger role again, so don't overvalue him. Austin Watson seems to be in big trouble with the league. He's lost his roster spot, and he has to enter the second stage of the NHL substance abuse program, so we wish him well in terms of getting things straightened out in his life, but they've lost some DFS value play there, and in the Nets... Pekka Rene has only started three of the last seven games. It's a good opportunity to rest this guy when this team is going along so well. He allowed only four goals against over his last two starts, settling down from an uptick in goals against in early January. So that time off seems to have been a good antidote to get him straightened around, and he'll be ready for the for the home stretch here, I think. Yeah, fantasy owners in, in all formats need to really uh, watch watch this kind of matchup again. Rotowire has our our starting goalie grid that you know we have available. Uh, you know throughout the week we project expected goalies. We tweak that as news comes out, and then we confirm goalies once you know once they're locked. And I think UC Saros is going to get a lot of work heading down the stretch here uh, to keep Rene as fresh and as healthy as possible for a deep postseason run. Look, this is a team that is built to win and to win now. They want to get back to the Stanley Cup Finals. They want to lift that trophy. And so part of that is going to be Saros uh, taking some more games here down the stretch. And as you said, Paul, with them continuing to perform well, they're going to utilize him as much as they can. Uh, Last year, he had 11 wins. This year, he's already up to 13 games played is at 22 right now. I expect him to hit maybe that 30 games mark uh, at minimum could push for even more and then once you get to the postseason it'll be all Pekka Rene from there on out but definitely something to monitor the rest of the way in New Jersey I've been touting Marcus Johansson's return and he hasn't disappointed me uh, rediscovering his scoring mojo with five points in his last four games played as the top line left wing he's on the top line in that slot because Taylor Hall is still out with his lower body injury with no return date yet that I've seen AJ in other forward news Miles Wood returned from his injury absence and has picked up the other scoring line role on, uh, in the left wing ranks though he has only one assist to show for in extra playing time so far so they really miss Taylor Hall here and uh, like I said before he's not going to be back in time to rescue this team's playoff hopes I don't think this year 
No, I think you're right. I think playoffs are out of the question for this club. And so that opens it up to potential movement here. Uh, I think Corey Schneider could be uh, an option to move. Now, granted, his $6 million cap hit makes that cost prohibitive. Keith Kincaid looks a little bit better in that term, $1.25 million, a UFA after the season. Um, but I do think they'll consider moving one of these guys in order to open up a roster spot uh, for for Colin Blackwood. I think he's kind of shown enough uh, to to really try and earn a spot here. Other names to watch. You mentioned Marcus Johansson, another guy that's going to be a UFA after the season could be moved as well. Uh, potential if you know if somebody's willing to give up enough. I think maybe Pavel Zaka could be an option. He's going to want to get paid moving off his entry level deal next season. I think more likely than not they're going to want to keep him. But a team could offer them enough to maybe, uh, you know, move away from that. And so, yeah, the season has gone south with Taylor Harrell out. I think they're definite sellers heading into the deadline. New York Islanders continue to run, uh, run away from the rest of the competition of late. Uh, surprising Islanders club maybe on the verge of developing yet another p- nice piece up front as Michael Dalcoli has picked up his second goal over his past six games, and he hasn't recorded a minus in his last eight games played. That's just the way that GM Lou Lamorello likes it done uh, throughout his roster. So that gets uh, Dalcoli some more playing time as long as there's a two-way game involved here. I like that uh, the defense pairing of Pelic and Pullock has been really thriving. They've been solid defensively as a shutdown pair, but they've both showed an offensive uptick in the last two weeks, so there might be some sneaky good DFS value uh, among the second defense pairing here. Well, I'll talk about the whole defense uh, as well for this team. You know, I talked about point production with Carolina. You've got similar numbers here. Pollock at 22, Letty at 18, Mayfield 17, Boychuk 13. Uh, and it, it doesn't really drop off from there, but perhaps more interesting. And I know there are there, that we have listeners and, and there are uh, other pundits that have panned plus minus uh, the last several years. But in certain situations, I think it makes sense to talk about no defenseman on this team is carrying a minus rating. Uh, the worst of all the defensemen that have played is Lucas Pisa in his nine games with them is at a zero. Everybody else is a plus uh, Scott Mayfield being the biggest at plus 16. And so that just goes to show how defensively solid these guys are while also producing. You know, I think a lot of people, myself included, thought defense was a weakness of this team heading into the season. And that clearly has not been the case. Uh, I think if they add something at the trade deadline, maybe you're looking for some minor moves to add a little bit more depth scoring. But overall, uh, I I think this is a team in a really good spot right now. And the Rangers' auditions continue. Uh, The defense pairing of Shea and Pionk has been split up since the latter returned from IR. Neither one has had a big offensive year, but I think they're both proven uh, in their short sample sizes uh, in their young careers to be capable scorers on the back end. I see them both as stash candidates in deeper leagues. If you can snag one or both of them, they should be... Uh, both benefit uh, currently from pairings with capable defense first veterans in Adam McQuaid and Mark Stahl. Up front, I'd like to see Pavel Buknevich and Jesper Fass grab top six winger roles, but they're both really struggling right now, and they're going to get tons of ice time to get out of this funk, so uh, we'll watch and see if that happens. Yeah, and another player really not producing up to you know quite the same level as earlier in the season is Philip Chadle, uh, pointless in his last four 
Uh, obviously, you know, he's he's a young player. This is going to happen. Really, this is his first full season in the NHL. So it, he'll have these kind of mini slumps uh, from time to time. But I don't think it's doing him any favors being in a bottom six role. Although uh, you look at that third line, Cheadle, Strom, Nemesnikov, these are all guys that have played top six minutes at point, uh, at certain points during their career and can certainly find ways to produce, although Nemesikov's numbers have been uh, pretty much abysmal of late, for lack of a better term. He's on a 19-game goal, uh, goal drought in which he's added just two uh, helpers, and so uh, he's another guy that really needs to figure it out soon. And in Ottawa, Bobby Ryan is uh, thriving in a showcase role as a right winger on the top line. He's collected goals in three goals in his last five games and now has a respectable 31 points year to date. But that is a big cap hit that he carries. So the challenge is still there to see if they can move that money. Brady Tachuk is a young rookie that hasn't been nearly as productive in a top six role of late as I thought he would this season with only one goal and four assists in mid-February. It's, uh, it might be a good idea to seek him out in trade, though, as this could be a a buy low opportunity in season long or dynasty leagues if current owners share my current disappointment i think this guy's going to be a good one down the road very soon uh, otherwise i'm surprised here that chris tierney is continuing to outplay jean gabriel pajot in the chase for second line minutes pajot is a guy in the past who's been a capable offensive scorer but he's really not measuring up right now well i think the most interesting thing for ottawa right now is the contract talks that are supposedly ongoing for Matt Duchesne. I think that changes the entire nature of this, you know, team moving forward, plus uh, what they're doing this season alone in terms of, you know, trade deadline with a lot of their moves the last couple of years, their, their picks are kind of sporadic. They don't have a first rounder heading into next season, although they have two second rounders. Uh, they, they lost their third rounder, but they picked up another one from Pittsburgh uh, so they could use some some additional top, you know, three round picks, especially heading into next season. And so, uh, you know, Matt Duchesne might have been a name that you would have targeted there. But with the, the rumor of contract talks ongoing, uh, it could really change the entire outlook for this club moving forward. And in Philadelphia, boy, this club is really rolling. I'm sure even an arch enemy like you has noticed they've won eight games in a row now, AJ. Claude Giroux is uh, thriving in the center role in the top line. He has eight points in his last seven games before last night's action. He's formed a really potent partnership with veteran uh, JVR, who is enjoying his hottest stretch of the season with 11 points in his last nine games played as well. Travis Konecki rounds out this line with six points in his last five games. On defense, Shane Gossesbear came back from a brief IR stint to extend a recent hot stretch of scoring with four points in his last four games played, though he's still well off last year's scoring pace of the season. Another guy you might look at a snag uh, if people are looking to sell low on this guy. With the team going so well his dfs value is higher than it's been all season though the biggest question i think for this team right now is what they do uh if and when brian elliott or michael newberth uh gets healthy here i don't think uh they're pulling carter hart out of the nets anytime soon and i think if you did there might be riots uh in the city <laughs> of bro brotherly love here uh so yeah, that's going to be a big question for them heading forward. Uh, at this point, it's Carter Hart's net uh, firmly uh, headed into the future. And I do think things look really bright um, for, for this team. You know, it's going to come down to whether or not 
those D guys that you mentioned, Gossebert, Provorov, uh, even you know Sanheim in there, whether they can continue to uh, produce and, and avoid any any struggles. So uh, we'll see what happens here for for that uh, you know that goaltending tandem and how that all shakes out in a, a couple weeks. And undoubtedly, when it comes to your breakdown of Pittsburgh's uh, situation, I want you to, to look at the trade impact uh, recently acquired Nick Bugstad certainly a centerpiece there temporarily installed at the center position on the second line with Kessel and Pearson on his wings this guy's not played much center in Florida as far as I recall so I wonder where he's going to wind up eventually of course Evgeny Malkin is the normal number two center but he's nursing an upper body injury with no timetable for his return that I see is this the spring break that I called for in our dollar bet that makes that uh, deal a little more interesting I wonder uh, <laughs> elsewise, uh, Jared McCann is an appropriate third-line center who's a better fit than Broussard was here in that role, so that's a positive development, in, in my opinion. On the blue line, I'm intrigued by the uh, fact that Yusor Rikola and Marcus Pedersen are uh, playing as much time as they are in the power play rotation. Yeah, and I think, unfortunately, for those guys, uh, that, that is about to come to an end. Justin Schultz has returned to practice, uh, cleared for, for contact in practice, and immediately started taking uh, some some looks with that second power play unit. Uh, I think what you'll probably see is you'll probably see Latang with the first unit, and I'm guessing they keep Pedersen there and go Pedersen Schultz on the back line. So I think you see Ricola uh, is going to be the odd man out there in terms of the trade and and Nick Budstad how he fits in here. Uh, I think obviously second line center until Malkin comes back. That's a lock. There's no discussion on that. I think it'll depend on what you get out of Jared McCann here right out of the gate. I think Matt Cullen is not going anywhere as your fourth line center. This guy is a penalty killer. He anchors that line. Uh, and so that's not going to change. And so when Malkin comes back, you could see Bukestad move to the wing. And think about this. You could have a first line of Jake Genzel, Sidney Crosby, and for now, Brian Russ, but it doesn't really matter who's on that right wing. And then a second line that would potentially be Bukestad, Malkin, and Kessel. Uh, that's a pretty dangerous combination uh, for them. You know, and, and maybe they move Kessel to that third, uh, that third line spot. They do supposedly want to use Bukestad as a third line center, but I think this kind of absence from Malkin, I think, is going to cement McCann probably in that role so that they move Bukestad over to the wing. In San Jose, Kevin LeBanc is bidding for more playing time in a scoring role after producing seven points in his last eight games placed. He's challenging Junis Donskoy, who's had only one assist in that same stretch. Uh, Eric Carlson is battling, battling an illness that kept him out of the last four games. On the plus side, though, Mark Edward Vlasic has returned from his 10-game stint on the IR. Marty Jones struggling mighty, mightily in goal on a recent road trip, but rebounded with a much stronger outing on Saturday, allowing two goals against stopping 33 shots in a win over Arizona. It's vital that they get this guy on top of his game before too long, AJ. Well, and it continues to boggle my mind that we're not seeing uh, enough work, in my opinion, out of Aaron Dow. Uh, you know, his numbers, you know, kind of lately haven't been great, but primarily has been uh, reserved for relief appearances. And I guess what they're trying to do is let Marty Jones work through whatever, you know, is kind of uh, affecting his play. But I think ultimately it would maybe benefit them to give him a little bit of time off uh, and let Aaron Dell see a few more games. This isn't to suggest that they are going to replace Martin Jones as a starter or that when playoffs come, we're going to see Aaron Dell as the number one there. 
that's obviously not the case here but I do think maybe a few games off to kind of refocus get his head right hey look what happened with Washington last year they did actually enter the playoffs with uh, Grubauer starting over Braden Hopi and once that flipped Hopi went on to win the Stanley Cup for them so it's there's a precedent here for it and it might be something that team brass there needs to consider and I, I hyped the St. Louis Blues situation. This is a team that's getting healthy. My take two weeks ago centrally to this uh, call was to grab Vladimir Tarasenko if you can, even though he's having a subpar season in a trade. He certainly is a value play in DFS of late. Last week, he tallied six points in his last four games played, for instance. Braden Shen has been shifted left wing on that top line to take advantage of the strong puck retrieval skills that he possesses, along with his physical play that would really make this top unit a handful. That's a positive development for Tyler Bozak, who, who's capable of assuming a second-line center role and moving up from the third line. He's now between Jaden Swartz and Alex, Alex Dean in a pretty formidable unit of uh, veteran forwards. In the Nets, Jordan Binnington has now clearly outplayed Jake Allen to the point where he's appeared in six of the last eight games here so that's uh, good news for the rookie I think what you know what we're going to see here uh, for this team is what they can get out of Patrick Maroon and a lot of that is going to be a factor in how long they're going to be out with without David Perron because Maroon's going to get a look at that third line uh, spot and a little bit more consistent minutes with Perron out but if he doesn't produce, he could be moved, I think, at the trade deadline or uh, could see himself bumped, you know, to even a, an observer role once David Perron gets healthy. Uh, Robert Thomas, I think, is a player that's going to push for more minutes, more consistency <coughs> as he works his way back from uh, a injury stint here, too. So that's a factor as well. But my concern overall with this team is that bottom six and how that all shakes out. I think their top groupings are fine uh, in those first two lines, but how they can put together a variety of pieces who seem to be able to play a variety of positions uh, is going to determine whether or not this team can make a playoff push here the rest of the way. In Tampa, Braden Point missed the last game and is doubtful for tonight's action with a lower body injury, though it's not likely a long-term concern, and that's the good news. That means Nikita Kucherov will join Stankos and Palat on the top line, and it's vital you know these combinations, as we've said repeatedly through this show. Tyler Johnson, though scoreless in his last five games, has moved to a second-line center role in the, for the short term. This guy has been a scoring-line player for much of his tenure here in Tampa, and this might be a good spot for him to be a good value play in DFS on his wing Matthew Joseph may be a sneaky good short-term value as well as he's slated to get right wing minutes on this unit for the next few games he's among the leaders in rookie scoring uh, distant from uh, Marcus Pedersen in Vancouver but it's worth keeping an eye on his status and uh, certainly point status as it will have a clearly a domino effect here well, and I think what's interesting to kind of watch here is you were getting some inconsistent play out of Andre Vasilevsky, uh, three, three and O over his last six games had two shutouts during that stretch, but also two four goal allowed games. And so what they did, you know, they had the back to back, uh, you know, coming out of the break, they let, uh, Domingue play the second of that. So that gave Vasilevsky a night off. And so I think he'll come back a little bit more rejuvenated and hopefully can start uh, playing with some more consistency. That's obviously what they need out of him the rest of the way here. Um, I don't expect Domingue to see a lot of minutes. Vasilevsky is going to see the bulk of the workload probably 
will push for the 60 well he did have that injury that's going to hurt it set him back a little bit but he'll probably still hit 40 for sure might go as high as 45 uh, games played here the rest of the way and in Toronto, there's no truth to the rumor that a statue is being commissioned for Jake Muzzin after his early returns with the Maple <laughs> Leafs here, despite my wife's best efforts as a distant relative. Uh, he is uh, paired with Morgan Riley, thriving on the power play and uh, short-handed minutes as well. He had a three-point effort last night, his career high. He's not a big scorer, but he should be on pace for about a 40-point season. And getting a look on the power play with this team will really help his offensive total as a, as a nice DFS play. Seems like Austin Matthews is back in the scoring groove with three goals and one assist over three games played before last night's effort. Patrick Marlowe's also been a key contributor on that uh, revamped line with uh, Marner and Matthews. The three, bu- three amigos off the ice are uh, looking good on the ice. Jake Gardner has been maligned for defensive issues in this corner and for and others, but uh, two-point effort and big minutes on the power play with a high-end forward li- unit should be a reminder of a good DFS value play here, as this guy is a capable scorer from the blue line, too. I might have to go back and re-listen to that. Did you just say nice things about Jake Gardner? <laughs> Um, you know, one guy that you didn't mention any nice things about, uh, despite him playing well lately is Willie Nylander. We've panned him all year long, uh, due to his slump coming out of the contract holdout. Well, finally figuring it out six points in his last five games, only one goal. You'd obviously like to see that a little bit higher. This is a guy that had back-to-back 20 goal seasons. certainly not going to hit that mark this year. Uh, at this point, he might struggle for 10, um, with just two, uh, to show for the season so far, but he's starting to heat up and that makes this team all the more dangerous. And really, uh, I don't think they're going to track down Tampa Bay for the number one spot in the Eastern conference. So, uh, if I'm, <laughs> You know, if I'm Boston or Montreal, I might rather be the wild card uh, than the number three uh, in the Atlantic division there and, and try and avoid Toronto as much as possible. That's a great call. And you know what? I forgot to mention that uh, the <clears throat> Leafs did take the season series from the Pittsburgh Penguins. So that's a real hot take and a highlight from this show. I got to get in there. Uh, I thought we were going to get away without <laughs> mentioning it after you said good <laughs> things about Jake Gardner. But it was a good game. That's that's the important part, right? Uh, outcome didn't go our way, but. You know, when we lift the cup at the end of the year, I'll be happy enough. All right. As, I, as I'm holding your loony uh, from my guys beating yours. <laughs> Touche. In Vancouver, Antoine Roussel and Louis Erickson are players to watch here as the lesser-known vets who are joining the notorious young guns who've been carrying this offense all season long, and they're now in a playoff spot. And I didn't think we'd be talking about that at all this season. Uh, I'm also happy to see ex-Leaf Josh Levo get a uh, a return look at a top six right-wing role here. He's collected three points in his last four games played and looking good uh, as a power forward here, finally getting a chance to strut his stuff. Jakob Markstrom has also excelled in that over the past month to contribute to what is currently this playoff team again that might be the hottest take of of this show that wasn't expected i think one uh kind of player to maybe key on uh for for the team heading into the game is is tim schaller he's expected to play on that top line with with uh, sven berchi sideline now obviously whether that happens once the game starts going remains to be seen but uh, definitely something to monitor and see how that fits, you know, how that works out. Uh, his minutes are something that you're going to want to take a look at because generally they're not super high, but if he's playing with Horvat and Levo, uh, might be worth targeting. 
And we get to Las Vegas. This team is deep down the middle and on defense. We've talked about that all year long. I'll focus on the wings, though, right now. And Valentin Zikov, who has been waived by Carolina and Edmonton, was picked up recently. He's coming off a 17-minute-plus workload as the right winger on the second line, despite only three points in his last 20 games played. That tells us this club's a little down on their other options, most notably Riley, Riley Smith, who has also just come off the IR but has not scored at all like he did last season. Peary has also been blanked in his last five starts. So on the plus side, though, Marchessault is pouring lots of shots on goal and Pacioretty's on a nice little scoring streak, so they need some of the wingers to pick it up and join these other hot guys right now. Well, you hit the nail on the head here. I think the biggest problem with the team right now is uh, offensive production. You know, you're not going to get a ton of that from the blue line. And so it does come down uh, to to the forwards. And to highlight that point, you look at Mark Andre Fleury's numbers in his last three outings, 2.40 goals against average. That's not outrageous. It's, it's decent. It's not going to steal your games. Um, two of those games he gave up, uh, you know, just you know just two goals but was really let down by the offense there and so i think this is kind of the main factor for this team heading into the postseason um flurry will keep you in it he'll steal you some games from time to time without you know outrageous performances but he does need some uh support here and some offense and he needs just three more wins to hit the 30 mark for the first time since the 2015-16 season and i think he'll get there in Washington, Lars Eller is a key player for this club. He's nicked up right now with a minor uh, lower body injury and mired an 11-game goalless streak while holding down a third-line center role. His struggles in the extended scoreless droughts of second-line wings Wilson and Vrana, which have been documented well by me in the last couple of weeks, are a clear message that scoring depth is a big issue behind the potent top line and second center Kuznetsov, who are holding, uh, contributing the lion's share of the offense. More troubling also is the fact that Braden Holtby has once again been wildly inconsistent in goal. I think one uh, kind of thing to, to continue to talk about, I mentioned it a little bit off the top, I'll get into it a little bit more here, uh, is how contracts are going to work out uh, over the next couple of years here. You're going to see teams give longer term to guys where you might be a little surprised to see that. And one of those comes in the form of the deal uh, that Washington just gave Phoenix Copley. You have to be have a certain number of guys exposed uh, into the draft. And so they signed him to a three-year extension, paying him just $1.1 million, And that's going to satisfy the requirements, uh, supposedly. We haven't seen the final look, but everything's leaning towards Seattle getting the same uh, benefits and re- you know requirements that, that Vegas got. And so that's going to allow them to expose Copley and meet that requirement. So you're going to see that in a lot of these contracts that, you know, you may scratch your head. Why, you know, why are they signing this guy for, you know, three, four more years? I mean, if you think about it right now, they've got Copley signed for two years beyond what they have Braden and Holpe signed for. Um, and a lot of that's going to come down to satisfying those exposure requirements for the Seattle expansion draft. Great point, AJ. And we wrap this up uh, with a look at Winnipeg, of course, and two names that didn't factor in at the beginning of the season are really having an impact now. Jack Roslevic turned some heads with six points in his last four games played to be one of the three stars last week, rising to the second-line role at right wing. Should give him an opportunity to continue that that run. Mason Appleton is the other new face, and you highlighted him a couple of weeks ago. He's chipped in with two goals and three helpers in his last six games. On the downside, though, Patrick Liney continues 
continues to struggle with a goal and three assists now to show for his last 14 games. The best news here, though, is that Dustin Bufflin is finally healthy enough to make his 2019 debut tonight. And that's big news for a team that, that needs all hands on deck to be one of the dominant clubs in the league that they've shown all season long when healthy. On the downside, though, the, they got to get Liney back on, off the schneid. He's back to playing u- his usual 16 minutes uh, per game in the last two outings after being limited to only 10 in an earlier one. So uh, uh, a lot of the spotlight here is on his struggles. Yeah, I'm a little hesitant to to go full tilt right now on on Razlavik, and a lot of that has to do with uh, Nikolai Ehlers and how he slots back into the lineup once he gets healthy. They could certainly look at putting Ehlers in a third line role and letting Razlavik kind of s- stay uh, in that top six assignment. They could move Ehlers up to play with Shifley and Wheeler, bump Kyle Connor down, and, and shuffle things up. So for me. I'm really only high on Razlavik in two settings. If I'm in a dynasty format, I definitely want to keep him and hold on to him. You know, I'll throw out there 48 points in 65 games last year in the AHL, 35 points in 32 games this year. And so uh, he has a definite scoring touch. It's why the Jets took him 25th overall in 2015. And I'm using him in daily. So those are kind of the two formats um, that I would utilize him. But in kind of redraft season long leagues i might hedge away from him a little bit despite the recent performance only because i don't know how his role is going to change uh, once they get ehlers back and now it's time to turn our attention to FanDuel uh, talk uh, over two and a half million players have won a cash prize on FanDuel, including you and me aj to take advantage of a special offer that we uh, we have we encourage our listeners to sign up today at fanduel.com slash rw Look, we got a 12-game slate. I'm so excited. It's been a while since we've talked about 12 games on the docket here. And I have a pretty good idea you're going to look for a shootout win over Carolina. A shootout not being extra time, but a big lopsided score for your hometown Penguins <laughs> tonight. But there's a couple of other heavyweight tilts. The Islanders at Boston should be a great game. Uh, uh, the up-and-coming Islanders against the Boston team that is uh, looking to be a tough out the rest of the way. I think another lopsided game could be the Montreal game against Anaheim. That's one of the worst-looking teams I've ever seen uh, in the last couple of years uh, that Anaheim trotted out in Toronto. They've been blown out a couple of times, and they're ripe for the picking on the second of back-to-backs in La Belle Provence. Uh, Another great tilt should be San Jose and Minnesota, and I wonder if you think anything of a possible high-scoring game in Chicago and Edmonton, two teams with a lot of offense and not so much defense. Yeah, that one definitely uh, could could you know produce a lot of goals. Of course, I think the the game of the night for me uh, has got to be Tampa against Vegas. I think two powerhouse teams uh, going up against each other, and that'll be fun to watch. But absolutely, Boston uh, Islanders. I think even Washington Vancouver with the young talent that Vancouver has uh, could be an interesting to watch. Although it could also turn into a goal fest for the Capitals. So if you want to you know watch uh, you know. watch one team get slaughtered potentially that's the interesting part about a a lot of these matchups they could be really one-sided but there could also be um, some guys that step up on a night with a big challenge vancouver washington being one uh you know buffalo up against minnesota i think is another option Uh, the sabers have some talent they're shuffling their lines and see how that that all plays out so uh, we'll see what uh, what happens tonight. There's some intriguing options all around. Uh, when it comes to the lineup optimizer, 
there's a pretty heavy stack for the optimizer with Carolina. Now, I am going to throw one caveat out out there this early uh, in the morning when we're recording not all the money lines are in there for for our rotowire optimizer some of those will get filled in through the rest of the day and one of those that is missing uh, is the carolina pittsburgh game i think if when that slots in i think pittsburgh's supposed to be favored uh, in the 170 180 range that could change uh, the things that the optimizer spits out but for now it's going heavy carolina stack Starts off with Nathan McKinnon at 8,200. Hard to complain about that for a guy that's produced as much as he has. Sebastian Ajo, your other center at 7,300. Uh, this one probably sticks in there regardless of what the money line comes out on that game or what the over-under is because I do think Ajo is that type of talent. Sticking with Carolina, you've got Tivo Teravainen at 5,800. Then Clayton Keller for Arizona going up against Nashville at 5,600. That's definitely a contrarian pick in in my opinion. I expect Nashville to walk away with that game, especially at home. Evgeny Dadunov for Florida at 4,900. He's getting uh, some additional playtime here. Getting a look on that first line after, you know, Bugstad uh, and and, uh, uh, McCann left. And then the another Carolina, Andrei Svechnikov, third line, but projected for second power play at 3,400. That's a really cheap option here uh, for a guy that's potentially going to see uh, some time on the man advantage. Defensively, uh, two kind of big names who I think are both underpriced in a lot of ways. You get Seth Jones at 5,700. He's probably about fair, but I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him pushing 6,000 in terms of price tag. And then Dougie Hamilton for Carolina uh, at 4,600. I would expect that to be almost $1,000 more um, based on his numbers and, and his time on the power play, stuff like that. So I'm a little surprised that that's down. In the Nets, despite the big matchup, we talked about Vegas not being able to produce a ton lately offensively. And so the lineup optimizer is going with Andre Vasilevsky for Tampa, paying up for that $9,000 option. Uh, it's a big price. It's, but it is only the second highest goalie, Tuka Rask, actually coming in at 91. Uh, and then in terms of overall players, you've got Patrick Kane as the most expensive guy tonight at 92. So you are spending a lot of money to use Vasilevsky, but there are certainly a lot of reasons to do so. You know what? I don't often pan the Roto-Wire optimizer, but I will in this case. And I'll remind our listeners, if you don't like this lineup like I don't, you get a chance to rerun it or lock in players that you do like out of, out of this mix. I certainly do like the defense pairing of Jones and Hamilton, but I would never pick a goalie like Vasilevsky in a game that's truly up for grabs against Vegas in Vegas, particularly. And uh, the Colorado thing, they're, they're struggling. McKinnon is a good player. Great player, but new line mates and uh, big money there. Then uh, you got the Carolina stack. Obviously, I share your sentiment that they're going to get filled in in Pittsburgh tonight, I think. So you might want to look at revamping that list of players here and uh, seeing what they come up with. Maybe you'll get something that looks more like my roster here, and I'll slide right into that. I'm going to start off with Jack Eichel at home for Buffalo against Minnesota. This guy lights it up from time to time uh, and is a leader in Buffalo's offense. Clearly, you get him for $7,600. That's less than some of the other top first-line centers, so give me some of that. Nicholas Backstrom is back playing with Alex Ovechkin. I see big value there at home against Vancouver for $6,400. I take Jack Ruslovich as long as he's playing top six minutes. 
even though he's playing against San Jose, I, I panned their goaltending situation. And Winnipeg's a tough out at home. You get him for $3,700, a top six player. That's a rarity. Marcus Johansson is a guy that I like a lot in fantasy play, particularly when he's playing as well as he is of late. He gets the home ice and the edge against a bad L.A. team. You get him for $3,900. I get an opportunity to, to slip Alex Ovechkin into the lineup, and you don't need to sell anybody on him. If you can fit him in, you've got to get him in whenever you can, and I do tonight, and I pair him with TJ Osie. So, in fact, I've got all three of that members of that line looking for a big night for the, them in Washington. On defense, I've spent up a little bit to get two guys who are going to lock big minutes at home against lesser opposition. That's Ryan Ellis in Nashville against Arizona and Shea Weber against that bad Anaheim club in Montreal. And I round out the squad with a guy who has the likelihood of, of a big cha- big night, and that's that's Carey Price. Should be in line for an easy win, possibly a shutout, and I lock him up for $8,700. Yeah, for me, I had to go heavy on on Nashville tonight. The matchup at home against Arizona, I think, was a little too juicy for me to pass up. And I'll start off. You can get Ryan Johansson playing uh, first line center uh, for this team at just fifty nine hundred. That's a steal, in my opinion, uh, for for a top center there. I'm going to go uh, with Travis Frederick. He's coming in at the bare minimum, bare minimum three thousand dollars. But I like everything he can bring to the table. It is a tough matchup with the Islanders, I admit. So a bit of a contrarian play there, but I do like uh, everything I've seen out of him and hoping I pick the night that he finally kind of breaks in. Uh, and then I'll go back to Nashville with my top expensive wingers. Going to go on both sides of uh, of Johansson there with Victor Arvidsson at 7,600 and Philip Forsberg at 7,400. I think it's just too big of a night for them to pass up. I'll throw in my Pittsburgh guys here. As you said, Paul, could be a big game for them. So you can get Bugstad at 4,500. Now, I know he's playing center. He is generally considered a natural center, but because he spent so much time on the wing, that's where FanDuel has him slotted in. And so you can get him for 4,500 as a second-line winger, even though he's going to play center. And then I pair him up with Phil Kessel at 7,800. I'll stick with that, uh, that team with Pittsburgh. Go Chris Letang, 6,800. Get those power play minutes uh, and offensive production out of him. And then I spent a lot of money, so I did have to find kind of a a depth option here. I actually like Cam Fowler, uh, 3,800. I know Montreal has been rolling of late, but they're certainly capable of throwing up a bad game uh, pretty consistently here. And so I think there might be an opportunity to maybe target a few Anaheim guys. I'm not telling you to stack them by any means, but at 3,800, I think Cam Fowler is a decent option to look at. And then in the nets, I round out my full uh, Nashville stack with Peke Rennie tonight, 8,200. I definitely think he has a chance to walk away with the win, potentially a shutout. The obvious only concern there is maybe the shot totals aren't high enough to warrant uh, utilizing him. But overall, uh, I think a good play tonight. And we finally wind it up with our stud of the week and the rant of the week. The stud of the week is Carter Hart, clearly uh, seven straight wins, allowing only a total of 17 goals against leading the Flyers to this uh, chance to make the playoffs that nobody saw coming. Uh, Have they found the elusive missing link? And more importantly, Will they stop our annual jokes about their goalie situation here? Maybe, but now, uh, but for now, he's certainly dragging them into the fringe of playoff contention, leading all goalies over the last two weeks, and he's full marks for all of this. And uh, they've, they've uh, 
shuffled things up uh, offensively. So uh, they're a tough out right now in Philadelphia. And Carter Hart, a big reason why, uh, making a huge impact that was long expected. And uh, the new management situation, new coaching situations finally give him a chance. And he's coming up nothing but aces right now. Yeah, I definitely think a, a great pick for stud of the week here. And, and overall, the team is really uh, a, a, a tough one to contend with right now. You know, you look at the teams in that wild card spot. You got Flyers last 10 games. They're nine and one just ahead of them. Carolina Hurricanes five, four and one in their last 10. Buffalo three and seven in their last 10. Columbus four and six. Even Boston four, three and three. Uh, so you've got some teams ahead of them in those wild card spots that are really struggling. Uh, you know, you could go even further into the Metropolitan. The Capitals are two, six and two. Uh, and so they have uh, kind of find themselves in a good spot. They're rolling. The teams ahead of them are struggling. Uh, and again, a lot of that, as you said, comes down to Carter Hart uh, really finally seeming to stabilize what has been a disaster uh, for Philadelphia the last several years. And it come to the, come to the rant of the week, and this one is where you and I we talked about it before the show, and I'm really hot under the collar over what Elias Lindholm did in a victory over uh, Carolina. He used to play for Carolina, AJ, and uh, Calgary went in there and won a game recently, and so as a former Hurricane player, he showed up the fans by mimicking their slow clap celebration. Carolina has been. Uh, renowned this season for on-ice celebrations by the players and in the stands by the fans for victories and so they celebrate in good good style nothing abusive of the opposition but this guy chose to mimic what they did in the victory over the, his former club and it's that part that really has me uh, my knickers in a knot you, you just don't do that showing up your former team uh, with an action like that and more importantly taking a shot at the fans who helped to pay your salary for a few years while you were there I think it's poor form and low class by Elias Lindholm laughing his butt off as he's skating off the ice mimicking that slow clap I wanted to reach out and throttle him so I, I have a slightly different take, and, and I certainly can understand why, you know, Carolina fans would, would feel that way. And obviously, you know, I would have to, you know, check my own fandom uh, if this happened in Pittsburgh. But I really only see, you know, a bigger issue if it's something more derogatory in nature. Um, you know, it's not like he was flipping off the fans, anything like that, uh, that would get him suspended. But I can certainly understand the, the you know, kind of hurt feelings there in that sense because he did play for the team. But overall, uh, I didn't have a ton of problem with it. Is it a choice that I, you know, I would have made, uh, you know, if it were me? Probably not. Um, but I certainly am not going to, you know, slam him, uh, you know, for playing with that kind of level of emotion at the end of the game. Uh, and I, and I think it's, you know, it's generally all in good fun. It, it, as I said, it wasn't anything negative or derogatory in, in terms of that. So uh, hopefully, you know, fans in Carolina can just take it for what it is. But if not, he's made himself public enemy number one. And I know fans always love to have a guy that they love to hate. So. All right. Well, that uh, I'd love to hear what our listeners think about that, since we don't often come on opposite sides of the rant of the week. But uh, maybe you can weigh in when you do react to the posting of this show on the social media. Certainly, that's a place where we'll wrap things up this, for this week's episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. 
As always, we invite you to listen in to PopCast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey fantasy. So long, everybody.